It was one of the deadliest structural failure accidents in modern history. On the 24th of April 2013, an eight-storey commercial building in Bangladesh called the Rana Plaza collapsed. This building contained a bank, uh, apartments, shops, and also several clothing factories for large international brands such as Benetton and Gucci and Primark. The day before, cracks had been discovered in that building and the lower floors were closed. But garment workers were ordered to return the next day. And so they were all at work when that building collapsed. Now there are a number of reasons for this building collapse. There were problems with the foundation of this building. It was being used in a way that it wasn't designed for. They built three extra stories on, on top after, after it was finished. And then the, the, the materials used for construction were substandard. And all of these factors combined together to produce this disaster, which killed over a thousand people and injured over two and a half thousand. It's a very stark reminder of how careful people need to be when they are building. It can literally be a matter of life and death. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul was also concerned about a building. He had started this building project and he wrote to this church to be, to warn them to be careful in how they were going to continue And this was crucially important because this wasn't just an ordinary building of brick or stone that Paul was talking about here. This building was none other than God's temple. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to read from verse 10 down to the end of the chapter, verse 23. According to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on a foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, though himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are the temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you think that he is wise in his age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos of Cephas, or the world of life or death, or the present or the future, are all yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 
Last week, we saw that Paul pictured the church in Corinth as a field in which he planted the seed of God's word. But in this section, Paul shifted metaphors away from a field to a building. And not just any building, but a temple. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, when King Solomon built the original temple in Jerusalem, he said to God, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. This was the place where God was supposed to meet with his people, to live among them, a place where God was going to be worshipped. But that temple only provided restricted access to God. Only the high priest could enter into that most holy place, the intimate presence of God. And he could only do that once a year. And only with a blood sacrifice. And ultimately that temple was corrupted by the sin and the rebellion of the people of Israel. And so it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar when he took the people of Israel into exile in Babylon. Then later it was rebuilt. And then in Jesus' day it was again being rebuilt by King Herod. But this temple was again corrupted by the sin and the rebellion of the people of Israel. And so after clearing the temple of all those who were selling animals and those who were exchanging money, Jesus said this. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's in John chapter 2 verse 19 we read that. Now, that didn't make any sense to the people around when they were listening to him. Because they thought that he was talking about that magnificent, massive building that took a whole lot more than three days to build. But instead, Jesus was talking about his own body. This was a prediction of his sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave on the third day. And Jesus called his body a temple because his body was the true dwelling place of God. So in the beginning of John, John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus then is the ultimate place where men and women can meet with God. In him we can experience his love and through his finished work on the cross we can receive that full and free forgiveness of all of our sins and we can gain access, free access, right into the most intimate presence of God. And so when Jesus cleared that temple, when he overturned the tables and drove them out, Jesus was demonstrating the end of that Old Testament system. 
So today, we no longer need to go to a massive building with altars and ceremonies and sacrifices. Instead, through faith in Jesus, we can come right into the very intimate presence of God. But that's not all. Because if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we become the true temple of God. That's why Paul wrote here in verse 16, he said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit lives in you. Today, God does not live on earth in sacred buildings. Instead, through the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, as a community of God's people, we are God's dwelling place. As a local church, as a local community of God's people, we are where God lives. We are God's house. We are God's temple. And what that says is that the the local church, each local church, is precious to God. Look at what Paul said in verse 17. God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Each local church is sacred or holy. It's set apart from the world and set apart to belong to God. And so it has incredible value and worth in God's sight. So today, as a church, we might not look that impressive. We might not feel that valuable. But as a community of believers in Jesus, even spread out this morning in our homes and wherever we are this morning, God lives in us. We are God's temple. And so we have incredible value. But that value brings with it responsibility. God loves each local church, and so we need to be really careful how we act towards it. So look at verse 17, the second bit. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. This is a serious warning to anyone who would attack or defile or abuse a local community of God's people. A local community of people who have trusted in Jesus. God will take that very personally. And he will respond appropriately. So we mustn't destroy God's temple. We mustn't seek to destroy or attack or, 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 or hurt a local church, a local community of God's, of people who trust in Jesus. Instead, We need to be careful to build it up. Verse 10 of a reading. Each one should be careful how he builds. If we recognise the the true value of the local church where God has placed us, then we need to use our gifts and abilities and resources 
to build it up, to encourage it to grow and to thrive and to fulfill God's purpose and plan. If God's, if a local church is God's temple, then we need to value it and we need to do everything we can to build it up. But how do we do this? Well, that's what Paul is going to show us here in the rest of this passage. So the first way that we carefully build the local church is by building on the right foundation. And that's critical for every building. I'm sure most of you will recognise the picture of the building that's on the screen just now. It's, of course, the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. One of the best illustrations for the importance of having the right foundation. That bell tower was begun in the 12th century. And even as it was being built, it began to lean to one side. That was because it was built on a mere three metre deep foundation that was set in weak, unstable subsoil. And actually, had it not been taken nearly two centuries to complete, it would probably have collapsed before it was completed. But the Apostle Paul was a much more careful builder. He said in verse 10, by the grace of God that is given, the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. When Paul arrived in Corinth, he carefully laid the foundation for this church. With all the skill and experience and knowledge that he had as an apostle of Jesus. And he did this by preaching the gospel of Jesus. Remember this verse we read in in chapter 2, verse 2. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There were loads of issues and problems in the city of Corinth that Paul could have focused on. Corinth was a deeply idolatrous and immoral city. So there were many problems, social, uh, cultural, uh, political, family issues, and all sorts of other issues that Paul could have addressed when he got there. But instead, Paul was single-minded in his commitment to preach the message of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. He knew that people needed to hear who Jesus is and what he had done through his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection over the grave. And if these Christians were going to continue to build God's temple in Corinth, then they needed that same commitment. They needed to build on the same right foundation. So verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And folks, we need that same commitment in our lives. There are so many false gospels out there in the world. So many wrong ideas about what we need most of all or how to fix our problems or how to live the life that we long to live. And they might sound attractive 
And they might be acceptable to lots of people. But they have no power to save sinners. They have no power to truly transform lives. They have no power to bring people to God. And so if we are going to see the local church built up, then we need to reject all those false gospels. And instead, we need an unwavering commitment to share the message of Jesus. The same message that Paul preached when he was in Corinth, which he talks about in chapter 15, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Whatever we're doing, or however we're going to be serving God, we need to keep our focus on the cross of Christ. This is the only way that we can come to God this morning. And it's the only hope for our lost and dying world. And that's why Jesus told us, commanded us to regularly take communion together. Because as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we focus our hearts and our lives again on the cross of Jesus. We remember that his body was broken for us under the weight of our sin. And his blood was shed for us to cleanse us from our sin. And we remember that he alone is the foundation on which we can stand today. In 27 AD, an amphitheatre was built in Fidene, just outside of Rome, to host gladiator games. But it wasn't just the gladiators who lost their life in the stadium. Because with 50,000 people watching a gladiator fight, the stadium collapsed, causing the death of 20,000 of them. And the reason for this tragedy was that in order to save money and time, it had been built using wood and other cheap building materials. In building God's temple, Paul didn't want the Corinthians just to, to build on the right foundation. He also wanted them to use the right materials. So verse 12, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Now Paul mentions two, two kinds, two categories of building materials here. He had the, the permanent, the valuable, the difficult to obtain gold, silver and costly stones. And then you have the, the temporary, the cheap, the easy to obtain wood, hay and straw. And Paul in this passage doesn't fully explain what he means by these two categories. But he's just talking in general about the quality of our service for God. Is it wholehearted and selfless and committed? Or is it things like lukewarm? Is it selfish? Is it lazy? 
Or maybe he's talking more about the content, the, the truth of what we share, what we preach, what we teach others. Is it the truth of God's word that is more precious than gold? Or is it the deceptive lies of false teaching? But what is clear in this passage is that initially, it may not be obvious the kinds of material that someone is using. It isn't always possible for us at the time to tell the difference between someone who is serving God faithfully and another person who is cutting corners and achieving false results. But one day, one day the quality of materials that we have built with will be revealed. On the day of judgment, Jesus will judge the quality of all of his servants' work. This is what Paul wrote about in his second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether, whether good or bad. Now, we need to be really clear here. The question of judgment here is not whether someone is going to be saved or not. Because if we have faith in Christ, then we have been saved today and we will never be lost. That that issue has been resolved. That issue has been declared once and for all. This is what Jesus promised. For example, in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said this. If whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he has crossed over from death to life. So if we put our trust in Jesus this morning, then we can be sure that we are saved. We can be sure that we will never be condemned. We can be sure that we have eternal life. So the question here is not about whether we're going to be saved or not. That's not what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. Instead, the question is, will we be rewarded or not? The day of judgment is a fire is like a fire that will test the quality of what we have done for Jesus in our Christian lives. So verse 14 says this, If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If we commit our lives to Jesus, and we faithfully serve him in whatever role he has called us to, then one day, our Lord will reward us for what we have done. And this reward is not just for prominent leaders, you know, kind of the the, the amazing Christians who have done big things, uh, spectacular things in this world. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus promised that he values all of our service and he values it differently from how the world values it. So even the the smallest act of service that we do for Christ will be rewarded. One of my favourite verses in Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter ten, verse forty-two: If anyone gives even a cup of cold water 
to one of my these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Now I know that some people struggle with this idea. Some people even reject it. Because it sounds a bit like feeding our own pride or selfishness. It seems that we're just in in, in it for our own self-interest. But that's not what's going on here. Because in heaven, however we are rewarded, and the Bible doesn't detail that really clearly, but however we are rewarded, it will be another, another opportunity for us to bring glory to God. That's because, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And that will be the same for us. Because by God's grace, he has rescued us from our sin. By God's grace, he has declared us righteous in his sight. He has adopted us into his family. He has invited us to serve in his kingdom. He has gifted us by his Holy Spirit. He has motivated us to to serve by his love. And he has worked through us by his power. And so when he will reward us for our service, we will recognise That this is only by the grace of God. That anything that we have done or anything that we've achieved or anything that we've been able to do for God is only by his grace. And so when God rewards us for those things, it'll be like we'll lay down those rewards at his feet and praise him for all that he has done. In transforming our lives and working through us for his glory. But sadly some people will miss out on that opportunity. Verse 15, if it is burnt, burned up, if what he's done is what he, his work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. On that day, those who have refused to serve in God's temple, those believers who have just gone off and done their own thing, who have just lived their own lives, those who have worked uh, through worldly ways, those who have maybe shared false teaching, they will suffer loss. They will still be saved if they have genuinely trusted in Jesus. But when their lives are tested, their work will be like wood, hay and and, and, and straw. There will be nothing of value found there. There will be nothing to honour God with. And so that's why we need to be so careful in how we live our lives. How we build God's temple, how we serve in our local church community, how we seek to build up God's people, has eternal significance. It matters to God, and so it should matter to us. 
How we serve today will matter for all eternity. And so Paul warned us here, verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. As we've seen throughout Paul's letter, this section of Paul's letter, we need to be careful that we are not being misled by the wisdom of this world. That's because God does not work in the way that this world thinks or this world expects. Verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God in God's sight. God doesn't measure our service in the same superficial ways that that the world does. God is not impressed by things like our intelligence or our eloquence or our charismatic personality. God isn't looking for kind of quick fix successes where we see amazing things happen, but they don't have that that heart and life transformation that God focuses on. So God sees all of these things that the way the world focuses on, he sees all of them as foolishness. And so as a community of God's people, as God's temple, we must follow his building plans. And that does not include things like focusing on celebrity leaders or fighting over the most impressive preachers like this church had done in Corinth over Paul and Apollos. That's why Paul says in verse 21, so then no more boasting about men. Our focus should not be on different people and what they're able to do and and raise them up and put them on a pedestal and praise them. Instead, following God's plan should be about rejoicing in and depending on everything that we have in Christ. That's why Paul concluded this section with these amazing words in verse 21 to 23. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So if we are in Christ this morning, if we have trusted in Jesus, then we don't need to fight over the apostles or teachers like Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or any other preacher or teacher around today, because those people are gifts from God. To help us, to to point us to Christ. And we don't need to compete with each other about this world. Or about the blessings of life. Or the challenge of death. Or whatever is happening to us now in the present or will happen to us in the future. Because we've become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we have everything that we need in him. And we don't need to argue over who we belong to. Like this church in Corinth, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. We don't need to do that because we belong to Christ. And instead we need to depend on him and submit to him. Just as Christ eh, depended on his father and submitted to his father. 
So this is how God wants us to build the community of God's people here. He wants us to value our local church as God's temple. And he wants us to continue to build it up on the foundation of Christ and him crucified. And he wants us to build in a way using materials that will stand the test of his judgment. And he wants us to build in a way that reflects his plan and his wisdom. And he wants us to do all of that so that ultimately we will bring glory to his name. Let's pray. Father God, we're just amazed. Amazed at your your grace and your mercy and your love. That you would want to live in us. That you would that you would send your son, the Lord Jesus, to the cross to die in agony and shame so that we could have the privilege of being your temple this morning. To be your dwelling place, your house, the place where you live by your spirit, Lord. That we could have this honour, this privilege, this, this deep gift, this, this amazing blessing. That we can know that God, you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, are among us today. And that you live with us and you want to glorify yourself through us. Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift. We pray, Lord, you help us to value this local church. Not because we think we're better than others, but because we recognise who you have made us to be. By your presence, we are your temple. And so, Lord, help us to value and care for it. Help us to commit our lives to building it up, not tearing it down. To honouring it, not defiling it. So that we might honour you with everything that we are and have. And Lord, help us to, to stay on this, this, this right foundation in our lives. Lord, help us never to, to be tempted to move away to something else that's not focused on Jesus and Him crucified for us. Lord, hold us to the cross and help us to be faithful in declaring that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised again according to the scriptures. And Lord, each one of us, as we live as part of this local church community, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to build with good materials, Lord. With things that will stand the test of your judgment. That we will serve selflessly and faithfully and with the right motive and based on the right truth. And we will serve with our whole hearts. So that one day we will be able to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be able to to celebrate and to glorify your name in, in declaring that you have done an amazing work in our lives. In transforming us and enabling us to serve you. Even in these small and hidden ways that this world wouldn't even see. And as we do all of that, Lord, I pray you'd help us to live in a way that's in keeping with your plan and your purpose for our lives. 
Lord, help us to build this church according to, to your plans. Not following the wisdom of this world, but following what you want. So that you, your name will be glorified. So that you will be honoured. So that people will hear the truth about who you are and what you have done. So that they too may be able to come into this wonderful relationship with you. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will work among us and through us and build your church. In Jesus' name. Amen.